Welcome to the Gorilla Pastors Podcast. I'm Josiah. I would first like to apologize for the large gap between today's episode and our previously released ones. While our desire is to release monthly interviews with guests, sometimes it gets complicated to juggle the schedules of numerous Gorilla Pastors simultaneously. However, we think today's episode was well worth the wait. This is because today we sit down with Jim Henderson, author of numerous books such as Jim and Casper Goes to Church and co-creator of The Three Practices. Our guest today is definitely worth a Google. So join me and Brian Wardlaw as we sit down with Jim Henderson to talk to him about his introduction with church, his experience as a pastor, and the specifics of his relationship with this institution at large. But perhaps the most interesting conversation we had with him was all about discipleship couched in real-life relationships. So without further ado, here's Brian opening it up with our guest, Jim Henderson. All right. Well, thanks, Jim, for being with us and this group. And you have been a friend and a mentor to me over the years, so... As we dive into this today, uh, I just wanted to kind of ask you a few questions in your relationship uh, with the church, faith movements, the institutions, uh, yeah, and just the unique you that you are. Uh, So first of all, uh, kind of tell us about how you kind of entered into your relationship with the church. Um, and maybe faith as a part of that, but, uh, maybe not, (laughs) but kind of, why don't we just dive in there and and kind of get the backstory. Thank you. Uh, first it's always surprising and a privilege to have anyone ever ask anything about our lives, uh, as if we've done something interesting. So, uh, I happen to like that practice and, and, uh, honored. Um, um, so I parachuted into Christianity I had no by Christianity let's just clarify what we mean as evangelical Christianity uh, not orthodox not Catholicism not you know the 37,000 other versions uh, let's just be real. That's what we presume everybody means when we say Christianity right now. I'm not saying it should be that way, uh, but that was my, I had no prior perception of that particular practice prior to parachuting in because I wasn't raised in anything like it. I had been raised around Catholicism, but mostly in a backslidden fashion. It was deeply cultural and a culture that my mother raised me in, but she didn't like it. And so what little religious background I had would have been Roman Catholicism and uh, very, very little. But it was enough so there was a cultural framework. I knew the terms Jesus. I didn't know about the Bible, of course, because Catholics don't do that. No offense to Catholics. At any rate, the, uh, it was a joke. And so, um, so uh, I didn't know about that. I didn't know about much about church, really. Uh, so, so at any rate... Um, I came into this relationship with the church, to answer your question, uh, through the Jesus movement. But I didn't know that was a that was a thing at that time. It didn't have a name. Um, 
and, and there was no marketing or anything about like that going on. Uh, and so I just came into it that way and uh, through that experience. And I, I'll just throw this and then you can pick it up again. But I, um, I ended up actually in Ballard where we're located now, uh, a friend of mine, my whole life at that point was just playing in bands, like R&B, rock bands, that kind of thing. That was the only aspiration I had in life. I never went to college, barely got out of high school. Um, like literally had a 1.8 average graduating from high school, okay? And I went to a, kind of a high-end high school at Mercer Island High School where you were, everybody goes to college. But I was there accidentally as well. I was probably the poorest kid on Mercer Island by, by accident. Anyway, I still have friends from there. So, um, uh, no, this music was all I was into, which made sense to me, you know, and... And so I was in bands with different guys and using drugs and it's a normal thing. That was just normal to me. And one of the guys that I was uh, in a band with uh, got in trouble with drugs, using heroin and so on, got upside down. He was so desperate. He was so desperate he went to a priest. This was the last ditch effort, you know, what you do, because this was not, it was it was the height of the coolness to even associate with a church. Uh, and so he goes to church, and he's this priest directs him. He ends up going to uh, he went to Philadelphia Church and had this building one time, and he got filled with the Holy Spirit. All this stuff, you're just desperate. Like, what? Tell me what to do. I'm going to I'm going to kill myself, right? I'm going to die. So anyway, he gets saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and all that stuff that is going. Then he ends up uh, migrating towards St. Luke's Church in Ballard, which accidentally became the hub of the Jesus movement. Maybe, well, certainly in the Northwest, if not on the West Coast, it was one of the major players. It was, he was kind of like the Chuck Smith version, Dennis Bennett was, of um, uh, the Northwest. And so all these young people were going to that church at this time, like three nights a week. Like there's, if you look at St. Luke's Church as a church, then there's this other building, seats about 250 people. That building was full three or four nights a week with young people and hippies and straight people and this wild conglomeration of people doing the most uncool things of singing out of a hymn book with no musical accompaniment that I could think of. There's no, nothing. There's zero choruses, you know, uh, sli you know, slideshows, whatever. All that stuff was just not a thing. So he decides, he, I'm in L.A. I'm, in a, I'm with a friend of mine who's playing in a band in L.A., and, uh, and I'm down there, and he and I are going to form our own band because he had a gig, and, <clears throat> and so... Uh, but nothing's really coming together. And uh, I get a letter from my friend Pete. Hey, I got saved. I don't know what that means. It, was, it sounds like to me like he's going to stop stealing stuff from me and selling it. That's what it sounds like to me. And so I, so I decided, I, well, that's good. I'm going to go and I'll just, yeah, whatever it is, man. And so I show back up in Seattle and we go to church. He takes me to St. Luke's Church and I go into this church and they're, you know, they're, this is a charismatic scene, right? So but I don't even know what that means. You know, I just know it doesn't look much crazier than what I'm already involved in. <laughs> just, but it was I honestly what little ability I had to process it when I, at that age, when I was 21. Uh, and I don't mean that derisively to anyone who's 21, but it just turns out there's a lot of stuff you don't know at that age. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing that the problem when you're 21 or around there is that you just lack this one piece uh, called life experience that disadvantages you tremendously from knowing, are these people crazy or what, you know? And the answer is half of them are. And so, and so, 
And so you get into these scenes and, and I'm thinking, well, this isn't, you know, they're, they're kind of weird, but I'm weird. And we're all, are we all weird? I don't know. And uh, so I go to church with Pete like three nights a week. And in the course of that, um, they keep pitching Jesus and the whole, and the whole speaking tongues, the Holy Spirit and stuff. And I'm, thinking, I'm ever going to do this, you know, <laughs> that's what's in my mind. And I, uh, but it's like, you know, I, I don't hate it. It's uh, something was going on. And so over the course of several months, uh, I mean, there was an altar call every night, like in 20, 25 people would go forward after church and do whatever they did, you know? And, uh, and then there was this whole social scene that ensued uh, apart from that. This is in lit 68. So, um, and so you hang out with people and you have people in bands and blah, 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 you know, and, and uh, it's a much looser scene than a church. Uh, they never pitched coming to church. They never pitched. They just told the Jesus story over and over and over again. And you'd have straight people tell it, long ears tell it, old people, young people. The whole. This is my introduction to Christianity right, when I'm describing to you. Um, and so I, uh, <clears throat> I I kept feeling something, um, and, uh, and, and so the worship part of it was what would get to me the most. You know, it was like the stories were like, you know, but see, I wasn't feeling guilty about anything. I didn't want to get out. I was smoking a lot of dope and stuff, but I just, I didn't, was, I was fine. I was, I wasn't shooting. At that point, it's all relative. You're thinking, I'm the only... Kind of like today, I'm only smoking marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So at any rate, uh, you know, I wasn't shooting anything at that particular point, and I wasn't in trouble, and I had, I thought I had a goal in life. <laughs> so I remember um, feeling, and this is a really beautiful part that that makes uh, it makes God so interesting. Is like. Um, I remember feeling drawn somehow towards something. This is very vague, but as a musician, uh, which is primarily how I identify, I think of myself, uh, it, it made sense to me to be feel pulled towards something. And um, it wasn't logical. It wasn't like, they had these things you're supposed to renounce, like Satan and, and astrology and stuff. And I thought, that's stupid. I'm never going to do that. <laughs> you know, so there were these little problem things, you know, uh, I liked the Jesus story and the people, and that was all really nice. And my friend Pete was getting help. And and so, at any rate, we uh, end up, uh, you know, this, I, I kept feeling this uh, presence. I didn't, you know, I'm using language that's familiar to me now, but I didn't at that point. I just felt a weight on my chest, like from my head down on my shoulders. And and it was, it was very, uh, I would start weeping. <clears throat> with this presence and uh this is all very real this is like this is defined my entire life and uh and i just would feel that and i you know and i and i knew it was somehow connected to this thing or th that was the way i understood it and so eventually i just gave up you know and um i just gave up and i said okay i so i sit down and i say Jesus, I don't know who you are, what you are, but if you're real, you know, please come to my life, and so on. And uh, that was my prayer. And then I spoke in tongues. I think I was speaking in tongues just to be a little controversial here, but anyway, I, I was speaking in tongues before I got saved because I thought everybody was doing this, and I don't know what is this thing, you know. So all that's all part of reality for me. 
<laughs> not something I'd ever argue with people over, and it certainly doesn't make anybody holy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and automatically. Anyway, so that was that was that was how I. But what what happened was when I said yes to Jesus, you know, actually the way I prefer to tell the story is Jesus invited me into his heart and I said, yes. Okay. That's the actual way this goes down. I don't care what language you use, which is great. If it's a thing, that's the way the thing happens. He invites us. We don't invite him. Right. And then I really, I had no idea that to, to answer your question with Christianity, that this was attached to the Bible, to the church or to Christianity. My yes to Jesus was not, was not contingent uh, on it being not attached, but I was not relating to Jesus as attached to those three things. So how did that then become attached? So it got attached quickly because I was in a church and uh, and then the, then the rules start coming in, right? <clears throat> At that point, getting your hair cut was a big thing, right? This was in 68. Like your hair would have been, just say your hair would have been just maybe okay, maybe, maybe bad. Pushing it. Yeah, you'd be okay. Yeah, you'd be, you'd be demonstrating some rebellion. <laughs> Uncharacteristic of exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. still going for it. And so we cut our hair, and then you, then the other thing that came up was really probably I'm playing in a band. You know, I just started getting paid to play in bands, <clears throat> and uh, that was that was difficult because this is Satan's den, and you know how can you play in Satan's den and so on. But, so all of this whole thing was very real to me. And I thought, well, you know, but here's, here's a really interesting thing. What motivated me is I realized that I was joining Jesus primarily at that particular point. There was this larger thing going on personally that I was, it would take my entire life to go through. But, but I, was on, I didn't have a mission. I didn't have a sense of purpose. But I didn't know that because playing in bands was very purposeful to me. So what's interesting is, I like to tell the story about the lost, uh, the lost coin, uh, in the sense that, uh, and the the parable of the the three lost things. The lost coin uh, didn't. It's an inanimate object. It wouldn't know if it's lost or not, right? Until until, and to extrapolate from that, the coin didn't know it was lost until it was picked up. You know, so. The, the idea of being lost is a projection that we put onto other things or people. They don't know. They're not walking around saying, I mean, of course, there's people whose lives are wrecked and a mess. I feel lost. But the majority of people don't. That language is not helpful at all to, to draw people. So I think when Jesus touched me, you know, I became aware of something missing, mm. right? So I prefer to call Jesus uh, the people Jesus misses most. You know, that's how I think about and so law says that these are the people Jesus misses most. And so when he touches us, then it creates value. Oh, that's worth 25 cents. You know, we just agree to it. <clears throat> and so um, so that's how uh, that's how then I got involved in the church. And then and then you're socialized. And but keep in mind just one thing is that there was about a two to three year window here where this this whole scene was very fluid, like we were in and out of different churches. You know, primarily Episcopal, Catholic, some Lutheran, um, Pe Pentecostals uh, were in it, um, and then just just unsafe people <clears throat> that didn't have an affiliation were going in and out of each other's churches. Meetings were in different buildings. It wasn't even organized like a, an ecumenical meeting. It was just like no. So the charismatic thing 
the benefit it brought was it just washed out a lot of uh, barriers that people were crossing over during that time. Then it got uh, uh, domesticated by the institutions. And at that point, then I joined one of them. So Yeah, and that was that the vineyard? No, that was pre-vineyard. I got involved with the Pentecostal movement that point because you know they look like they're on fire dude have you watched into the yeah <laughs> yeah so and so i to to kind of jump um you are introduced to a relationship uh with with christ yeah. that felt very real yeah it was uh domesticated mm -hmm. if you will through the the institution or the church mm -hmm. by way of drawing some lines yep. for your life, yep. if you will. Right. Uh, and then at some point you make the jump from being introduced to all this stuff, identifying with it to then working in it. Yeah. And so kind of give, uh, as far as a vocation, yep. tell us kind of what was your vocational life for a while within the institution of the church? So, well, that's still up in the air, right? Even at this point, the uh, I uh, we started attending a church, uh, you know, because it was like this on fire church, Pentecostals, and there's so many interesting directions to go. But um, I'm certain if Mars Hill had been around, I would have joined that church because they're just they're just so arrogant, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which really appealed to me. Uh, so, um, so this church was similar like that. It was really, you know, we're the kind of the, you don't have, if you have to say it out loud, it's not good, but you have to indicate to everybody like we're, we're the special thing, you know, and I know a lot of churches do this. So I figured that out after a while. Some people are just more smoother. So I joined a church like that and, and then, you know, I was married at that point. And then we, cause I needed, like, I'd never read the Bible. So, like, I have to study the Bible. So, this particular church, if you want to go to their Bible school, you have to go to their church. <clears throat> and so, it was local here in Seattle. But, um, um, so, I did that, and uh, I was working. I mean, again, I had no education. Nobody ever directed me to college or anything. Um, and I went to Bible school for, like, three months because I had to work, and I worked at a grocery store. And, and then I just started volunteering in the church, working with kids and young people. And, you know, we were there three nights a week easy and then i'd work and do camps and just do the things you do and then this particular church was into this thing called church planting now keep in mind this is before church planting particularly outside the pentecostal world that i know of, was even discussed it was that language probably wouldn't have been used exactly that way so it was very common in the pentecostal world but what it meant is you go out and start a church somewhere and take it get a job whatever you have to do they don't fund you you know, you fund yourself. And so um, so we were part of that church for about seven years and then went out and started our first church. Um, so I never had a position in that church, paid any kind of thing uh, in that church. It was all volunteer. Uh, and then I was, when I went out, I same thing when I started church, I was working. You know, I had a, I had a job, uh, just painting houses and working in grocery stores or whatever to get a household. And... Uh, so we planted our first church that way. So that was my only relationship with the church. Uh, I've always had a side thing that I've done, uh, which is which is probably indicative of my conflicted feelings about professional Christianity, uh, as well as 
in anticipation of what I consider the future, not to not to put too fine a point on it. I liked it. My life mattered. Uh, in exploring something in our time that is probably going to become normative, I, I would encourage it to be normative. Uh, that mixed in with my identity as a musician and understanding how musicians understand themselves professionally. Most of them don't make a living doing it, and nobody talks about it like that's a failure. Uh, in professional ministry, it's a failure if you don't make a living doing it. But that's because they've identified more with uh, doctors and lawyers and professors. And musicians identify more with artists and potteries and sculptors and, and people who play the guitar. And then a few of them make it. Some people make part of a living at it. The vast majority don't expect to make a living at it. In ministry, we've come to expect to make a living at it. And more importantly, we consider ourselves failures if we don't. Mm. So it's not even the amount of money we get paid. It's the fact that we're getting paid. So none of that's in the Bible, of course. Everything I just said is not in the Bible. Don't want to shock anybody. Neither are building programs, you know. So, but it doesn't stop us. Yeah. So you, you uh, just, uh, I just want to make the point because after planting that church, there was a rise. You started climbing the ladder, if that, you will. Af yes, after all that. So after that particular church, as it relates to the idea of being a public Christian, okay? <clears throat> or what I call a professional Christian or semi-pro. Um, um, I, uh, we got, um, yeah. So I, I joined the vineyard movement in the early eighties because I was about to quit Pentecostalism for sure. And maybe church. I wasn't really, I've never threatened or felt threatened to quit Jesus. That's never happened for me. So thank God. It's just one of those things. I never, I battle with that. Um, the, uh, so we got involved in the vineyard because it's basically Jesus people and started a church <clears throat> and, uh, with some intelligence, you know, there was some mix of intelligence and John Wimber would, you know, he, I don't know if you know this, but he, uh, managed the righteous brothers who wrote you lost on loving feeling. Yeah. Which gave him credit with me, you know? So, and he also had to, I think ghost wrote a song called tequila. Da, 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 da. I, yeah. Uh, maybe, yeah. Maybe for a hundred bucks. Anyway. So that, plus he was a kind of a, 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 a student of scripture. <laughs> so, um, so John was a very interesting guy and I met a lot of interesting people in that movement. Uh, and, uh, in that movement, uh, we started another church. I've started a couple of churches. So that a vineyard in Seattle, one of the first ones up in Seattle, which did quite well until the guy I worked with had an affair and then that church blew up. And this is before it's a, um, a, a organized movement, a denomination, which it is now, kind of. So there was this no cohesiveness, and we just started church and ended a church. It's another weird story. But um, so out of that, where I got more involved, where you where we would have crossed paths, was after that. I kind of retired from ministry. My last attempt was in a mega church in uh, Cincinnati. I worked for two years on staff at a church, uh, Cincinnati Vineyard, uh, in leadership development and evangelism. And that was kind of the nail in the coffin for me in terms of watching people go through the motions of church. I realized what happens in little churches and big churches are similar, the same. You just Little churches are trying to emulate big churches and fail at it endlessly. <clears throat> and big churches are also failing inside a lot of times. They're not everybody, everybody in the world, but it's really difficult to sustain that internal uh, health uh, 
uh, relation and stuff to put when you're putting out a show every week it's just 80 percent of your energy goes to that and that's what's attracting people and it keeps going and i thought you know i can't do this so i actually stopped going to church then in about 2000 i've not actually returned them since then meaning i go if <laughs> i i like to joke i go if either people invite me or they pay me <laughs> <laughs> So just to give us some timelines, because I'm interested in... Sorry, in, that's too controversial. Absolutely not. There's nothing nothing like that would be controversial. Uh, uh, I so, support people who go to church, and I help people plant churches still. Just, let me just throw that out there. So, yeah, but you would also say you support people who don't go to church. 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I help them get out. <laughs> to save their faith, if you will. Totally save their yeah. relationship with Jesus yeah. or their sanity. Yeah. Okay, so let me ask you something. Uh you wrote a book uh, that kind of, in in many circles, kind of put you on the map, if you will, yeah. maybe uh, off yeah. the map, <laughs> uh, but uh, called Jim and Casper Go to Church. Yeah. Was that as you were leaving the institution or just prior? Or Well, that happened. That, that book came out as a result of one of the last things I did inside the institution. Now, I want to say something very clearly here. Institutions decide what happens. Okay, so, so to my friends who are uh, young and are conflicted with institutions, I, I just like to say, um, you are inevitably going to work with an institution. So even if that gives you the creeps, uh, what you want to do is figure out which one you want to work with, or the the adjacent how you want to be adjacent to the institution. For me to survive a relationship with the church, the institutional church which I accept and, and I don't always respect, but I accept its reality. Uh, and many of my friends are very comfortable inside the institution, which I accept. Uh, and uh, for me to remain in a relationship, I have to have distance. So you have to decide how much distance you need. And I like to think of like an orbit, like a satellite. Some are near, we need, we need orbits, uh, satellites, thousands of them orbiting around us to make our phones work. Those are very near orbits. Some, but there's some now that go like to Mars and for years and come back. So I would be somewhere in between those two orbits. I need a lot of distance, and but I'll come back for close contact. Um, so um, that's that's how I think about my relationship with the institution and why I think it's, you know, the younger you can come to terms with that, the, the earlier in your life you come to terms with that reality, the more effective you can be and the more enjoyable you can have your life to just come to terms with the fact that ideas emerge from the bottom up and decisions come from the top down, okay? So the artists, creative people, the people we like to hang out with, we have killer ideas, we coin phrases, and we come up with cool things, you know, that emerging. Institutions has never found an idea it didn't want to kill, right? And so, but they're also vacant. They don't have ideas. And so they need ideas. And so if you're in a relationship, you can sometimes get those ideas pitched and a thing happens. And that's just the nature of life. I don't know if it's to stay that way forever. You know, maybe a nice age is coming or something. And yeah. And so knowing a little bit about your story. So in, in knowing that, I think that's an interesting, it's, a, it's an interesting part that comes with what one of the pieces that you spoke to earlier was life experience. Mm -hmm. Life experience allowed you to know that you couldn't be fully in it, mm -hmm. but you needed to be somewhere in adjacent. Order, adjacent to it. Adjacency is the game. It's that that has helped me tremendously. But it took. I had nobody. I had to read about this and think about it 
for decades. Yeah. You know? And it's different for every person. No, totally. Yeah. And it's literally different for every person because this is just how I survive. I mean, this is another sobering reality. Each of us has talents that and, and, and abilities that enable us to relate. And that's why we have to be humble, you know, and, and gracious and loving toward people because it's just because you're not like me. It's like, you know, like, why do we just sit around and argue about that? Who cares? Like, we're just trying to get through life together here. Hmm. So, um, so it, as a result of being in that church, I was able to uh, exercise an idea I'd always had, which is I wanted to get, I, I've always had this parallel interest in evangelism uh, because it's so conflicted with so many people. I just found it fascinating. And not because I was good at it, uh, because I came that through Christ that way, but also I understand the conflicted part of it for people inside and outside. And I thought, how interesting would it be to get people on the stage and have them talk about that? in front of people who are in the business of doing it, right? So I got three people on stage that were not Christians that I had recruited from just hanging out in restaurants, and I paid them. I said, would you get on stage with me and say to these people what I'm saying? And I promise I won't let them preach to you, right? There are 500 pastors. And I said, I promise if they come after you, they're coming after me, and I will protect you at all costs, right? That was the main thing these people wanted, not the 50 bucks I gave them. (laughs) It's like... Okay, so which says something really interesting, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yeah. Like, oh, that's an awesome way for our customers to view us. So, uh, so I put on this event and I called an interview with three lost people. Right. They wanted to pick on the word lost because we used it. We t- it's like a slur we use about non Christians behind their backs, and we don't have the guts to say it to their face unless we want to insult or threaten them. You know. And so I, I interviewed these three people, the young people, and. And I, and I just, they just told me what they told me in private. And it was startling to people in the audience. So I realized at that point, oh, this is really fun. You know, we should do more of this. So after I left that church, then I started a, a, a conference ministry or something called Off the Map and put on events around this theme, kept exploring, why are we so conflicted about evangelism and all of that? So that's where that came in. And then as a result of that, someone knew I had this quirky interest in talking to people who weren't Christians. And uh, without the intent of converting them, just interviewing them. Like, what are we doing wrong? How can we do better? Like, if you were actually in business and you were actually intent on wanting to convert somebody, meaning in business, conversion means I give you my cash. I sign the thing. Okay, so let's say that I'm fine with converting, right? How would I go about that in a humane way? Like, can I ask my customers? Like, a smart business does that. What do you guys think about my product? It sucks. How can I fix it? Make it easier to handle. What did they always say? Don't be so mean, you know? Could you ever ask a question instead of talking? That's the kind of stuff they'd say. So so we just started exploring that. And then this book I wrote, Jimmy Caspio Church, was really the fallout from an opportunity that came to me with a guy who was advertising selling a soul on eBay. Right, this was back in 2005 or six. You want to start? Yeah. Okay. So, so, um, uh, this guy was in college. He was he was an innovative young guy, kind of entrepreneur, really, and and said, "Hey, I know you guys are trying to save me out there, and so how about we make a deal? <laughs> I love people like this. How about we make a deal for every ten dollars you bid on my soul? I'll I'll, I'll Go to your church for an hour, right? Ten bucks for an hour. You couldn't pay Christians to go to church for ten bucks an hour. Oh you could not pay Christians. Anyway, so I thought, wow, that seems like a good deal. Besides that, it's funny. And so <laughs> I had no money, 
And so I had a credit card and I asked the guy that I work with, it, how much could we spend? He said, I don't know, 500 bucks. I said, fine, let's spend 500 bucks. So, so we ended up having to spend $504. And this is the fun part you might enjoy. This is back in 2005. Where does it put us? Tw almost 20 years ago. Yeah. And so uh, we're on eBay. I know nothing. He barely knows something. And my, my friend, and he said, you have to set up this thing and let you bid at the last second. It's now it's, I think everybody has this now. Yeah. And so I put in $4 just in case somebody said, I thought 500, I put in. And so, and so boom, we get in the last 10 seconds. It's, I, I liked it like I'm the guy with the three point shot in the corner and I'm shooting it and I'm falling out of bounds. <laughs> boom, it switches. That was so fun. So we win the bid. And then this, I meet the guy, Hammond made as his name is in, in uh, Chicago. And I said, you, I'm not going to send you to 50 churches. You'd kill me. So I said, you would definitely not become a Christian if I did that. <laughs> How about going to 10 churches and writing for 50,000 people? He said, okay, let's do that. That's what we did. So we had a blog. Then I think, I don't know if this predates Facebook. I can't remember. But it was, there was, I don't think if Facebook was wrong, we weren't using it. Um, and uh, we just started writing. And this whole community formed online between Christians and non-Christians. And then we said, look at, look at, we're not going to fight here because if, if, unless you're the stupidest person in the world, you know, you, you already know everything that's been written about the disagreement is on bookshelves. Go read those books. We don't do that here. We just want to talk with each other about our difference, not about our differences, but about being different. How, why is that so alarming? And so we're not going to argue. If you want to argue, go off in this other room we have. And like 10 people went there and yelled at each other. And the rest of us formed this online community of people. Uh, it was called the eBay Atheist. And so that's how that happened. As a result of that, then I got a book deal, a book offer from George Barna, Barna things, uh, to uh, write a book with another atheist where I'd take an atheist to church because I had this other concept. You know, when I was pastoring for 25 years, which is the thing I did, I forgot to mention. Anyway, <laughs> the, uh, yeah. so... Uh, uh, when I was doing that, I realized after church, everybody goes out and talks about, you know, how'd you do, how, what'd you think of the sermon, you know? And so it's like a band or something. It's like a review, like getting three stars. And I said, why don't we just, why don't we just do this out of the open? Let's write reviews of churches. So I got an atheist, a guy, uh, uh, through another friend, and he's a musician too, so that way we could, that we could relate. And we traveled to the churches I knew would attract attention, like Mosaic in LA or Dud. Uh, G. Potter, what's the Potter's House, T.D. Jakes, or Willow Creek, or Saddleback, or <clears throat> anyone. And then we had a few random in there, right? So we just wrote a chapter in every church we went to, and, and he was a good writer. Casper was a good writer. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we ended up uh, writing this book, Jim and Casper Go to Church, about our experience primarily in mega churches. And a lot of mega church pastors read it, apparently, because they called us. They were pretty nice, actually. They were These guys are pretty... They're pretty, they're entertainers primarily. No offense to people out there that are megachurch pastors, but they have to have an entertainment sensibility, which I understand because I've been in that business. It's like, fine. You know, so they're, they're playful about it and kind of had a few laughs. And, uh, but that book then got out and that kind of then made uh, people aware of my thinking, which is, that's Yeah, I mean. so, man, I, as long as I've known you, as much as we've talked about so, uh, so many different things, I am realizing I'm connecting some dots uh, in in your life, and in in many ways the push you've made, 
to me for being alongside, staying alongside the institution, mm-hmm. um, being open to critiquing it. Uh, but and I want to push into the what what I hear from uh, Jim and Casper go to the the blog and everything now pushes into the newest project that you're working on that I'm realizing is just a culmination of a lot of this. And that is a three practices group um, and crossing the difference, helping people cross the difference divide. And um, before we get into it, I need to, I need to ask a question real quick. Okay. What years were you a pastor? 25 years? 75 to 2000. 75 to 2000. Was that what they planted three churches? I planted two churches and help start another one. And I mean, start and stop or help one time recover. So I was in pastor in three different churches, and I tried to be a missionary a couple of times in there as well. And we self-funded? Oh, yeah. Paid. And then, no, never paid. I had to go get the money, either raise the money myself or work. Mm-hmm. And so I've always worked. I've always had a painting gig going on the side <clears throat> because it's uh, because it's it's flexible. And and over the last 30 years, 30, I've made connections with people. But I've never run it as a proper business. I mean— I, just to give you an idea how I operate, like I pray about Jesus help me because I don't have time to actually work. <laughs> and so this is our role. I'm just going to be honest. Okay. And, uh, help, you know, I literally don't have time. So I really need very lucrative jobs. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to keep this kingdom thing going, I'm going to, I just, it's the only way I can make this work. So <clears throat> that's been a, a, a thing of faith for me that I don't, I don't tell people because it's like they don't know how to relate to it a lot of times. Um, and uh, But I think it's a thing. I think if you're going to plant uh, churches or do that kind of stuff, the uh, you better have a life of faith involved, like however how you want to do it. I mean, maybe you get to work at Microsoft or do something or you make a bunch of money, but I've had to hustle my entire life. You know, I'm very, and my life is split between very public and very blue collar. Mm. I mix, these are the audiences I mix with. Which, which if... If I'm going to speak broadly in generalities, someone your age yeah. that has been in ministry, that's not normal. That's not a thing that I've experienced a whole lot. If someone's been in ministry, they're they're trying to find that fully paid, you know, uh, be in ministry full time. Either yeah, where's that in the Bible? Well, that's you. That's a whole other they, conversation, right? No, I mean seriously, think about that for just a minute. I, I don't think it I, is. I, it's not, but <laughs> but you and I just accept that. This is an important thing because it's the way we accept certain norms. Absolutely. This is why institutions are in trouble, right? Because they, they establish these norms and then they, they oftentimes put people to sleep and they don't know how to wake them up again. And so it's an, I don't, I think I wish, I hope young people, you know, hear this and understand these are realities. You've inherited them. We've inherited them. You know, that doesn't mean they're authentic. That doesn't mean they're real. It doesn't mean they have to stay that way. Okay, but we have inherited these things, yeah. and so dealing with that is a, is a part of life. Uh, either that, or absent yourself from it, and just go find another institution to fight with, because <laughs> well, you will. It just fascinates me because I'm I'm reflecting on my own initial spiritual formation, which was probably couched heavily in programmed Sunday school, you know, children's church discipleship uh, programs that had someone volunteering their time for a particular hour. And then I went to another room for another hour and it was very structured and you had some of that, but you were also in a different culture. So some of that, I mean, being a a missionary kid, your initial spiritual formation was slightly different, not, not as cookie cutter institutional as mine was, but yours was like, 
not even close to starting out in a very institutionally. I didn't have any churches supporting yeah, me, for example. Yeah. Like your your parents may have had some churches supporting them and I had minimal of that, you know, and I didn't expect it. That was the other thing. I wasn't, there wasn't a culture of that in the world I was part of. I, I don't think it's terrible, but I think you really have to be cognizant of what you're participating in yeah. as a young person that when you start, you know, when you start exp not just taking the checks, but expecting the checks. Yeah. Right. I expect the checks or I can't do ministry. But then, but speaking, I mean, only could, you're also talking culturally. So like you pastored for 25 years yep. in the church. Yep. And you've said before, you knew the whole time you weren't a part of that culture. Yes. Yep. You knew how to play in it, but you knew you weren't fully in it. Right. Because you have to be raised in Sunday school to be in really in the church. By that I mean the church, and I don't mean this as, as cynically as it's going to sound. I really don't, but because everybody has a culture they're raised in. If you're raised in that culture, you become acclimated to it. You you uh, you know people. You love them. They're not all bad. They're not as bad as those other people are saying they are. And you accommodate people because you want to belong to a culture. And then money gets involved in it, <clears throat> and it complicates, and you get golden handcuffs or some color van gusts over for a while. And then... Uh, where I was, um, what I've noticed is that if a person was raised in church, that they have a very different uh, experience with it than I do. Like, for example, I'm not triggered by the church. Part of the reason I can talk this way is because I don't hate it. It's just like, you know, it's a thing. It's just a thing. It's not my thing. So when I say it felt like an outsider, I became aware slowly over time that people had gone to church, had a different relationship with it. So for me... <clears throat> Um, I think there needs to be, particularly in this, in the time we're in now, the way people enter churches, there needs to be a graduation from church. Mm -hmm. Because churches are essentially, and I, again, don't mean this as cynically as it sounds, but it is true. And that is churches are essentially um, uh, educational, uh, uh, sorry, extended families, extended families masked as an educational institution. Mm -hmm. Okay? So that, that those two things are going on, and, and people call that church. Right? To get to your point about discipleship or the kingdom, then you start thinking more broadly. So so it was easier for me to exit something that I didn't feel connected to and still stay connected. In fact, my relationship with the church today is closer than it ever was while I was pastoring because I'm very connected with people now <clears throat> who tell me the truth about their lives behind the scenes and uh, from small churches to large churches. And uh, I consider that a privilege. You know, and I and I treat it that way. Uh, I deeply love and admire, and respect people that work in the church. They're very, they're my personal friends. I could never do it if they tried to hire me. I'd say no. You know, because we would probably stop being friends, and that's not worth it to me. You know, to get your money every month till I die or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't sign up. The other thing is one more thing. You know, I, I want to ask people: Did did you sign up for this? Like, did like? And I think if you raise in church, it gets complicated. I do think you had, you see a path, you see generations, you know, see, oh, that's what happens. Like I went, when I went to the first church I went to, and there's, I had a woman pastor, which I didn't know was controversial, but that was controversial. And because uh, she was really on fire, she really meant it for Jesus. You know, you, you yell and stuff a lot. People think you mean it. So, um, so I went to this church and I thought, like, how did, do people, how, who shows up, how does this all happen? You know, and Don Mail, people get paid to do this. I literally did not know people got paid to do this. I thought we all just got together 
and like had church in there because that's their job that week. And we come back and do it again, you know. Uh, it, I mean, I, I'm not totally stupid, so I understood after a while, oh, that's how this works. So I've not been uh, burdened with the memory of a, uh, an organization like that to struggle with. I just have, I have a principal disagreement with the church in terms of its mission. Don't tell me you have a mission. Don't tell me you have a mission and then pretend like it doesn't matter or pretend I'm not going to notice or pretend I'm not going to raise my hand and say, how about that mission thing? Are we there? Yeah. So I'll ask that question, you know. Um, but so that's the nature of the relationship I've had with it. And um, I still have a relationship with people, you know. I, w I want to ask one more question. Maybe it'll be the last of like the regular episode and then we'll go into more of the unedited premium stuff after this. You Go for the premium one, folks. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I may say a swear word. <laughs> so so the final question, and then I want to hear more about the practices that I interrupted. Sorry, Wardlaw, I interrupted you. Um, but I'm the one that gets to edit all this later, so I'm going to just... You're suffering. Uh, yeah, I'm going to interrupt you. have to do you. the work. Yeah. This is a tongue-in-cheek question, but I think it might be a great way to wrap up this initial conversation. Upon meeting a person, uh, if it's in some sort of church orbit, I'm going to use your language, right? Is it clear to you whether or not they were raised in Sunday school or not? And if so, what are some indications of that person that, that stick out in your mind? Like, oh yeah, you were raised in Sunday school in an institutional church? Um, I wouldn't give myself that high of a degree of, you know, <laughs> radar, although it dawns on me. Um, probably... Um, uh, they're, I'm, they're probably not as conflicted as I am about the institution. And I, I detect that they're frustrated. They're mad right now. Their feelings got hurt, but on the principal level, they're not really profoundly frustrated enough, you know, to go do something about it. <clears throat> I just accept that. Um, and, um, oftentimes they don't know much about the Bible. <laughs> I mean, I've heard you say it a couple of times. Is that actually in the Bible, though? It does seem, I'll speak for you. I'll get in trouble for you. It does seem that institutions accept so many extra biblical things, just on principle. Well, at least as many as non-Christians do. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to argue with that. Either. And, and I think it would be, what would be more fun is, I guess another, this, to answer your question, I'm trying to think of Sunday school signals. Um, it's an interesting question. It helps me to understand how to kind of break that down. Uh, they, uh, or another thing, generally what I run into are people who are very angry at church, like profoundly emotionally traumatized, that kind of angry. Sure. Like it's a dangerous place, you know, and it's, it's like, it's like up there with evil. Those people oftentimes have been raised in Sunday school because the, the amount of reactivity they're demonstrating signals their, uh, it's completely unsafe for them. Uh, and of course, that's woven in with some of their own drama and mental health issues or whatever. But I see that reactivity more than the other thing in the world that I operate in because people will tell me their stories and stuff. And that's really sad. And I just say, you should stop going. It's like a drunk in a bar. Why, why do you need to go? Like, you hate it. You know, I don't know what you do with God. I have a very good friend that... Uh, I just love this guy, and, and he's one of the funniest people. If I had a comedy show, I'd hire him because he knows a lot of kind of religious humor. He, he'll he just call me because he knows I'll think it's funny, some funny thing that happened at church. 
He can't get near a church. He's just, he'll go crazy. He thinks he's an atheist. He's trying to be an atheist, you know, right now. And maybe he'll be one. I don't know. But he's not very principled, you know. <laughs> so that's where I would see it more, which is, I'm sorry to say, but yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. That's intriguing. But I'll stop interrupting. We can go wherever you want to go now. You want to take a break? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Okay. Thank you. Before this conversation with Jim, I had never considered Sunday school vibes in this way. As he explained his interactions with those who had been triggered by church trauma, I couldn't help but see myself in what he had described. Both his wealth of experience and the way he articulated his relationship with the institutionalized church were incredibly insightful, and I cannot articulate well enough how much it helped me to better frame the relationship I had with it as a result. But what was perhaps most inspirational for me was his desire to bridge this divide we have seen grow increasingly large in our culture as of late through his work in the three practices. And while I know this may feel like a shameless plug for you to subscribe to our premium podcast, it is definitely worth listening to our extended conversation where he dives deeper into this practice. In our show notes, you'll find a link to one of his books, as well as his website all about the three practices. But if you want to hear more from the man himself, I would encourage you to subscribe on either Apple or Spotify for our premium podcast subscription. And as we intend to maintain a regular and free podcast, we would also ask that you would rate, review, or subscribe to help others find this podcast as well. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And as always, I've been your host, Josiah, and this is the Gorilla Pastors Podcast. Mm-hmm.